Greetings and welcome. Episode 91 of the Chief Yuya Podcast. I want to thank all of you who have come through once again. Um, yes, we just, you know, concluded up and wrapped up our Jezebel series. Jezebel and Ahab, rather. And I uh, would encourage all of you who haven't had an opportunity to check it out. To pause this podcast and go back <laughs> from the first uh, part of Jezebel and Ahab and then come forward. All right. Um, but in this session, this 91st session of season two, we're going to be speaking about uh, some of the responsibilities that older people or people who are more spiritually mature have towards the younger people, especially when we're trying to make sure that they don't fall victim to the Jezebel and Ahab spirit, you know, understanding things like presenting your body as a living sacrifice, presenting your life as a sacrifice to your teacher. You know, when you have a lifestyle that's set up in that way, you know, you can capture the full bearing in the full beauty of what a celestial model is supposed to be you know when you have a tongue that's guarded when you have a body that's in control you know or that you're in control of then your life won't be out of control if your tongue is out of control your life is going to be out of control there's no getting around it because both of them can cause destruction life or death is in the tongue so once we start to source the wickedness and we start to source when we can begin to control it you know, an uncontrolled tongue is hell. You see, and you're going to understand how the satanic mindset or the sa satanic thinking is the root of all harmful talk. It's the root of all slander. It's the root of all gossip. You see, you'll start to understand how we can be prompted by the Ruach Kokodesh and our Egbe and these powerful spirits that we've come to, to remove ourselves out of the space and the sphere of malicious talk gossip that's been rationalized or even innocent gossip we learn to think first we'll talk less you see and we'll start this righteous movement towards our heavenly place now you know we're going to cover you know sometimes how we fall victim or become slaves to certain substances you know instead of being controlled by soul instead of being soul controllers we find ourselves that we, we are unable to resist excess in certain areas of our lives. Certain substances, certain amusements, certain fashion, certain attitudes become our masters and we become the slaves to them. You see, when you are dealing with wicked culture, drunkenness is the norm. In fact, drunkenness is even encouraged when you're dealing with the wicked slave culture. But we're not slaves, right? We are people who are who are practicing freedom and a free dome. So in doing that, we can now come to a place where everything around us should and can change. We can break our old habits, our old ways that uh, we were as husbands, our old ways that, that you were as wives. You know, where these different old pains from old emotional abuse, old physical abuse, they surface and the temptation to slip back into that slavery of drinking. That slavery of drug addiction, that slavery of, of, of gossip, that slavery of overeating, that slavery of, of eating, you know, or, or of envy, excuse me. You can start to get that, those appetites. You start to control and eradicate those sort of appetites out of your system. Okay. So that's some of the things I wanted to cover. And I'm going to probably even do this one in about two or three parts. 
And uh, I know you're really going to enjoy it. So I just want to thank you all for tuning in and uh, be sure to have your notes out so we can really get into all the things that make us good students and make us good teachers and make us good people of sound spiritual integrity. Let's model that royalty on the planet so that our tongues, our appetites and our habitat and, and our habits are all controlled by the soul. And we're not overindulging ourselves. We're not becoming gluttonous. We're not becoming pleasure hun- hungry or, or malicious talkers. All right. So with that, I'm going to share our movie, uh, for this strong and I'll be right back with that. All right. All right. Cool. So our movie for this strong is Veronica decides to die. Veronica decides to die. Okay. Um, it's a movie that is, it's actually based on a novel. It's similar to our last film that we looked at that I'm going to do a review at some point on, um, under the skin, you know, under the skin was originally a novel and that's how I, I found out about it. I read the novel and then watched the movie and they're very different. The movie and the novel are very different. They didn't, it was like, um, Space Odyssey 2001. They didn't follow the same format for each. But Veronica Decides to Die is, uh, it was a novel written by, um, Paul Coelho. You know, and some of you may be familiar with his work. You know, he's, uh, Brazilian. But, um, it's about a, a young lady who decides that she wants to, or she, she attempts suicide and she fails at her suicide attempt and she is then forced to stay at this very, lush and lavish um uh mental hospital right and it follows the life of of veronica who's um she's a librarian and she just sort of has this apathy as it relates to her life and um she just feels no power she feels completely disempowered to make any real changes in her life and in her estimation things are only going to get worse as as life proceeds right so when she fails at this suicide attempt she wakes up in um this mental institution called valette and um she has this doctor that lets her know that she's got heart damage as a result of the suicide attempt and she only has a few days to live so she's expected to live it out in the institution at first she wants to speed up the process but then you know um because she was she was really disappointed that the suicide was unsuccessful and um once she finds out well it was it wasn't successful but you only have a few days to live anyway because you damaged your heart she makes a decision to live her her life in a way where she really has nothing to lose right because it's it's about to be over soon anyway all right and um some of the issues that she had prior to um, she starts to really address and, and look at. All right. So I don't want to share too much about it because I don't want to spoil it for you. And, uh, I definitely trust that you'll check it out. I know under the skin was a, was an interesting one, <laughs> you know, dealing with aliens. And these were aliens. Um, if you haven't checked it out, you missed it. Um, you know, when you read the book, you, you, it gives you a different understanding. You know, in the film, we didn't even get the name of the characters of, you know, um, Scarlett Johansson's character did it on purpose. But, um, we find out reading the book that there's this, this race of aliens that find human meat as a delicate, it's a delicacy to them. So they, 
genetically modify one of their own and send her uh, to basically trap men or people, you know, um, into their cooking pot, we'll say. And one day she has like a, 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 a lapse of conscience because she looks at herself in the mirror and she sees how she's been deformed. You know, one of the things they did was they gave her eyes and they gave her um, large breast in order to entice men. And she sees all these things and says, man, I don't like who or what I've become. And she starts to run. All right. So there's so much to it. Um, and as far as like how it goes. But of course, the book was a little bit, bit different. You know, in the book, there was also another alien who was like a, who was rebelling against the system, if you will, that she met. And they actually fell in love. And, um, you know, in, in the movie, they did it a bit different. Uh, there was a car crash and she started to have these existential questions about life and death. And will she just only turn into vapors? So at the end of the movie, um, there's a, a logger who attacks her because one of the things you'll find in the movie is that she attacks everyone who's kind to her and everyone who's unkind to her. She runs away from, you know, at one point there were these young men who were, like she was in a van and they were trying to get in the van and flip it over. And then she just she's emotionless because she doesn't really even see that she's in danger, but she just drives away. But then people who were giving her directions, places and helping out and things like that. These are the ones who she would then bring down into the cook pot and devour. Right. So there was there was a lot of science in there, you know, um, and eventually she was devoured. She became the prey and was devoured by someone who was hunting just like she was and burnt and turned into vapor and ashes. He set her on fire. All right. So anyway, you got the movie for this strong. Of course, Veronica decides to die. Now let's get back into our segment. Okay, everyone. So let's get on this Titus two flow. And uh, I'm going to start just with um, sharing out. We're just going to read through it, basically. We're going to read through it together. All right. So, Titus 2. But speak thou things which become sound doctrine. But speak thou things which become sound doctrine. So, when we say thou, means you. Like, you speak these things which become sound doctrine. This is now Paul speaking to Titus. Um you know, in the area of Crete and saying, you, you speak things, which is sound doctrine. All right. What is, what's being said or how that can also be interpreted is, you know, um, speaking is also living. So when you're speaking things, which become sound doctrine, it's saying, speak things in a way where they're pure and relevant and practical, right? So they become the sound doctrine, right? So that, that obviously rely, uh, requires, um, a living, right? A living to actually apply these things in, in succession and to see like, okay, this is how we should do this. That's how we should do that. So when you're speaking things that, but, but speak thou things which become sound doctrine, um, the concept there is that if something is sound, it's, it's hold, right? It's, uh, it's whole, excuse me. So that sound doctrine is also, it will, when it, when it becomes, when something becomes sound doctrine, whatever I'm speaking will lend itself to sound living or sound teaching. 
So my speaking becomes so impeccable that now my speaking becomes law and that law becomes what we live by. Okay, so that was one of the first things. And of course, we're building up to, you know, the responsibilities of uh, younger to or older to younger, if you will. Right. And and important here, because as Paul was speaking to Titus, Titus was one of Paul's converts. You know, and the book of Titus is really short, too. You can read through it really quickly because uh, it's, it's, it's a letter. You know, it's just a letter. So um, the thing about it. So he starts there. Right. He's saying, you know, speak so much sense and so much practical information that it becomes sound law. And he says that the aged men be sober, grave, temperate, sound in faith, in charity, and in patience. Okay? So you give so much science, drop so many gems, that the doctrine will create this uh, 66 characteristics inside of people. So the first thing, sober, what is it to be sober? It means to be serious. It means to have sound judgment if I'm sober, you know, so I'm serious. I have sound judgment and I'm also looking out uh, for anything that may cloud, you know, what it is that I need to be and making sure, you know, I'm not drunk with the um, exploits of living. I'm not whether it be wine, whether it be women, whether it be food, whether it be whatever, but I'm not drunk in those things because I'm serious and sober. Right. So uh, that the aged men be sober, you know, so that judgment that I need to be able to have as a man is critical. I can't judge anything if I'm emotional. I can't judge anything if I'm if I'm intoxicated. I can't judge anything if I'm inebriated, you know, so there's a concept there when we say being sober, sober, excuse me, and then being grave. And in, in some translations, you'll see the word reverent. But um Grave or reverent is talking about the the level of self-respect that I have. Okay, so I'm not I'm not moving around like a young fool. I'm not moving around like anyone's fool. You know, I'm carrying myself with with dignity. I'm carrying myself with with respect because I'm always representing or uh, respecting one who would represent the value of my presence. And the opportunity that my presence brings. So the opportunity my presence brings is that, you know, by coming to a room, I may be able to, or I should be able to resurrect the mentally dead. If I'm showing and proving that I am the original man, then I'm going to have reverence and respect for that call at all times. So that, that requires me to be self-managed, have, have control over my emotional body. You know, these sort of things. So it creates my outlook on life uh, as one where I'm always looking for the opportunity to do something good, to do something right. Um, but also there's a maturity in the way that I'm carrying myself because also by, you know, the time that I've been spending walking with the creator. All right. So that's when when we're speaking about that grave, you know, just if we just look at each one, um, be sober. Be grave, be temperate, uh, temperament, temperate, excuse me, and sound in faith, right? So let's go to the sound because, you know, I, I like stuff that has to do with sound. But sound in faith, it, it speaks about um, the robustness 
of one's faith that comes through maturity. You see, so it, you notice that there's a soundness that's mentioned. You know, there's there's several soundness. We we see the sound, sound in faith, sound in love, sound in patience. Right. So that's significant. But um, if you are someone who's emotionally immature, if you're someone who is not spiritually committed to what you say you you are, then you'll you'll be a believer as opposed to a knower. Right. And sometimes believing can be a very immature thing. But ultimately, if you're not sound in your faith, what's the opposite? You're sick in your faith. You see, so when you're a person who's sick in faith, you have no um, assurances and the promises of the creator. You know, you don't trust what what the most high is sharing with you. You don't even trust what your parents are sharing with you. We want to really get into it. But, you know, you're a person who's forever suspicious. You're a person who's always walking around saying, I got trust issues. I got trust issues. The reasons you have trust issues is because you're sick in your faith. You're not sound in your faith because so you're always walking around doubting what the most high has shared with you. You see, so that's a part of that. So in order to be emotionally mature and spiritually mature, you have to be healthy, not sick, but you have to be healthy in your faith so that you can have a trust, a a dependency and a reliance on what's being said to you. Right. So that they, the aged men or the older men be sober, grave, temperate, sound in faith in charity. Now that word charity is love or agape um, and in patience. So being sound in love or, or sound uh, in charity is a way to always make sure my consciousness seeks for the best for you first. You see, um, even if, Maybe society says you don't deserve the best. You don't deserve my charity. You don't deserve my love. You know, I'm not looking to to dig up problems with you or to dig up dirt where I can say, well, see, no, this is why I'm not going to teach you this. This is why I'm not going to give you this. But I understand that love is the fruit of, uh, is one of the fruit of the Ruach. You see, so there's this, I can't give, I can't give too much of that. <laughs> you know, and people say, oh, I love hard. Like I'm a person, I can say, I love hard. Right. And I'm going to keep loving hard. Now, there's been situations I've gotten into where maybe it wasn't, you know, reciprocated or um, maybe just the situations didn't work out. But I can never love too much. I'm going to keep doing that. (laughs) Right. I just may not give it to that person, but I'm going to keep doing it. Right. So that's a part of my maturity as a man to be sound in my charity. Or to be sound in my love, you see, and making sure that love is sincere, you know, and that love also often like when you read in first Peter's uh, first Peter, since you have purified your souls and obeying the truth through the spirit and sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart. You see, so that's a that's a serious and strong love that comes forth. You know, but sometimes when we're a person who's constantly looking to subjectively judge people um, and not really see the sickness that we have because we're always subjectively um, loving, we're not able to really cover a person. When you truly love someone, you and this is, you know, again, we're talking to the men. 
of the aged men. You truly know how to cover someone when you're able to cover all the areas that they fell. You see, again, same in Peter's uh, for love will cover a multitude of sins. You see, so that's an important part there, right? When we look at those six pieces. And then, of course, we have patience, which is the last one. Sound and patience. And patience, of course, is your endurance. You know, it means to be able to endure things or to put up with situations that may not be the most pleasurable or you may consider to be adverse. That's important as a, as a grown man or as a mature man in faith, because a lot of times situations come up that you don't agree with or that could be discouraging, you know, and you have to have this sort of persistence that some people don't understand. Like, where does it come from? Where's all this endurance comes from you know come from it might be in a in a environment where you're facing hostility you're facing opposition and people are slicing and dicing or they're trying to at your faith and you got to know as a man how to handle reversals you know sometimes you take uh one step forward you push two steps back got to be enduring you know you got you got to you have to endure that you see you have to ha- you have to be one who's able to Move forward without accepting defeat, you know, who can look at a trying circumstance and say, I can handle this. I got this. I'm handling it. You see, so that's that's the piece there. Now, um, of course, we're coming off of our Jezebel round. So um, I wanted to share, you know, the, the, the female part. We'll get into that. So when we get to the third verse, the older women or the aged women, likewise, that they be in behavior as becometh holiness, not false accusers, not given too much wine, teachers of good things, that they may teach the young women to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, chaste keepers at home, good, obedient, to their own husbands, that the word of Yah be not blasphemed. Now, I just want, I read a little bit more because I wanted to show you how you notice, you see how the directives given to the older men are different than those given to the older women. So you see right there, straight off, off the rip, there's a different, um, there's a different charge. Whether you're a man or, or a woman, there's a different charge that Paul is given to, uh, Titus in this sense. You know, based so it's just you know another um, I don't want to say plug, but another supporting piece or precept. You know, when we start to speak about yeah, there are a difference between there's difference between men and women, and even older men and older women have different responsibilities put on them than younger men and younger women, right? So there's a standard that's that's being put forth. The aged women now aged um, have different. Those aged women have different temptations than aged men, number one. Number two, aged doesn't just mean or, or older in biological years, but also in spiritual years, you see. And the first thing is said that they be reverent or that they be in behavior as becoming of holiness, right? So the first thing, when you look at that behavior becoming of holiness, um, in some translations, you see that they be reverent, and that means um, temple, temple fitting. It really comes from two Greek words, actually. But the idea is that they do things that are befitting 
of someone who would be in the temple, right? So it's like it's you should be carrying yourself as a priestess at all times. You see, at all times. So that means your life is a righteous life. So you're taking that serious that um, your purportment at all times reflects the creator. That's why, you know, we, we says that later. So, you know, that Yah is not blasphemous, but becometh of holiness. The next one is not false accusers, right? Now, that's important because gossip, sometimes people get bored, empty nesters. <laughs> they don't have much to do while they're sitting there folding the laundry. They start to gossip. But, you know, um, that's something that's not fitting for a righteous woman, you see. Um, when you look at the uh, the context, right, this was Paul writing to the churches in Crete, and in particular to Titus, um, who was who was not an Israelite, Titus. And he was saying, you know, yeah, gossip is no, it's no good. And that's because at that time period in Crete, it was customary for women um, to gossip. That was a regular thing or slander. They would slander each other, you know. And so what Paul is saying, look, don't do what they do. We, no, we're not into that. We we don't gossip, right? And also, why is that so important? Because another word for shaitan is the accuser of the brethren or sistren or the the slanderer. So literally, when you're you're gossiping, you are becoming shaitan in that moment. You see, so the next thing is not given to much wine, right? Um, so what does it mean to be not given? Well, what am I giving? If I'm not given to too too much wine, right? Given means I've been, I'm I'm a slave. That's what the idea for when you look at the the Greek for that. But I'm a slave to too much wine. What is too much? Well, the the amount that would make me drunk. So I become a slave. Older women are not to, supposed to be enslaved to intoxication. You see, now that was an issue back then around that time. Because they were using um, the alcohol or the wine to kind of take away from some of their frustrations and some of their pains, you know. But the reality is that drunkenness or that that enslavement to somatic drunkenness and intoxication is something that, um, yeah, it causes blasphemy. So you you basically you throwing dirt on the name of your creator, right? So when he says that they may teach or teachers of good things, excuse me, um, good things is what good things are the things that are, are holy. Good things are the, are the things that are of elevated awareness. Good things are the things that have an honor associated with it. Those are those principles, you know. So the first thing you see right then and there is that even though you may be an older person, older woman, um, you still have a role. <laughs> There's still something that like is you don't kick your, your, your feet up and just relax and say, well, you'll figure it out. You'll know what to do. You see, no, you still have a role. So when it goes on to say that they may teach the young women to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children. Right. Again, responsibility, you know, and to say that that, you know, uh, that they may teach. So when you say that they may teach, you start the, the sentence off with a that. The that means that there's, there's a, a purpose 
This is a purpose statement, right? So that they may teach, meaning that older women are supposed to teach younger women certain things. That's their responsibility. A lot of times when you have a Jezebel energy, she teach, she gives nothing of, she gives nothing related to anything here. She never, one thing you'll find about Jezebels or even American society, it never teaches you how to be a good mother. That term doesn't even come up. Be a good wife. You see? That they may teach the young women to be sober. We already know, we know what sober is, right? To love their husbands, to love their children. See, the woman has to be taught this, these things. A lot of times we'll say things like, um, well, a woman is a natural nurturer and she's naturally loved. Who told that's, that's garbage. Who told you that? That's completely not true. Completely not true. She has to be taught those things, right? And when she's taught that, she can model. And, and that older woman, of course, has to model those better values to that younger woman, to that younger woman. She has to encourage that inside of her. You see? So encouraging or when it, it says that they may teach young women to, to be sober, to love their, their husbands, to love their children. You see? So teaching in some translations is it's admonish. And admonish, you see the word right there, or the prefix ad. Once you see ad like adversity, you know we're speaking about uh, resistance. So those older women often will challenge the younger women, as they should, to cultivate an understanding about certain things that are related to their the maturing of their womanhood, you see. So there's an influence that the older woman there has when it comes to the younger woman that's being clearly pointing pointed out. Um, even speaking about loving your husband, teach her to love her husband because the interests of her husband should always be put above herself. You see, we talk about what love is, right? So I'm, I'm going to be concerned about your welfare and your interests before I am my own. Right now, we already know how the husband should should love the wife because we've gotten the scriptures on that as well. So he cherishes her. She cherishes her, but and he cherishes her above everything except for the Most High. But with that, the wife must love her husband and must love her children even above and beyond what she considers to be her purpose. Her purpose was to have this certain career. Or to be a healer or this or that, whatever, whatever. You see. Even above her desire for her to love him. Well, I don't want to love you like this because, well, you don't do it for me. That wasn't the, that wasn't what you were charged with. Because half the time, you see how the man wasn't admonished to love in the same sort of way. He's already, the truth is men already come out loving. That's the truth. Men already come out nurturing. Why? Because we're built to protect and guard the community. So we have to have some sort of innate connection to want to use our big muscles and, and, and big bodies to want to protect you. So we're the ones that come out naturally loving and naturally nurturing. You see, but society has flipped it and told you that you're naturally loving, you're naturally nurturing, and we're just evil. <laughs> So the challenge that exists there is, or, or the adversity that exists there is is really the opposite of what the world is telling you. 
You see, even in terms of your, your individualism, you know, the world tells you follow your dreams, keep working, don't stop, believe in yourself. You got to believe in yourself, you see, um, and all of that. And then what, what, what's on the bottom of your priority bucket list or whatever is family, husband and children. You see, but we were being instructed or rather the Gentiles were that you're supposed to love your husband and children without qualification, without condition. This is what you're in. This is your environment. You see, and the love that you show forth for the man. And of course, it's reciprocal love is mutual love. But most importantly, that love that you share is an actual divine principle. It's not just that your family creates some sort of unique love that's never existed before. It's not that at all. That love itself is an actual principle. So that true love or that understanding, we say the highest elevation of love in the supreme mathematics is understanding, you know, the child, the original child, you see. But that love or that true love doesn't depend on any other factor other than you are my child. You are my wife. You are my husband. End of story. <laughs> End of story. So that love should always be fully expressed. You know, whether the child is good or whether the child is, is acting bad, you know, the love has to be there along with um, an unconditional condition of it. Whether the child is obedient, whether the child has a messed up personality or any other thing. Now, that love may express itself certain ways and that child may say, you don't love me because you said this to me, said that. Yeah, well, that's still love, too. You just didn't get it. So when we go to five. To be discreet, chaste keepers at home, good, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of Yah be not blasphemed. So to be discreet is, is to be prudent. Okay, so to be prudent is to be thoughtful about um, how you may be uh, coming into the room is <laughs> to be sensible, you know, to think to have common sense when you're when you're interacting with other people. That's what we call decorum. Right. To have decorum, to be chaste, sexual morality. Right. To, to have sexual morality, teach her about the dangers of. Um, not having sexual discretion, having too many partners, you know, having more than one partner, not being a virgin. Teach her about that. You see, not being able to present herself to her husband with purity, with virgin technology. Say, hey, this is virgin technology. Whatever you program into this is going to the, the, the output is going to be excellent because no one has dug into this soil. I don't have 5, 10, 15, 20, 30, 40 people who've been inside of me, digging inside of me. And, you know, teach her that. When it talks about teaching her uh, to be a keeper of the home, that word in the Greek, keeper, actually means guardian. So to be a guardian of the home, right? Um, and so a lot of times when we say, oh, she's a homekeeper, a homemaker or a housekeeper, we don't really understand like how serious that role is because we don't we don't translate the words properly. But when you translate that word in the in the Greek, it's guardian of the gate or guardian of the home. You see, 
So she sets the tone of, you know, the man may guard the house, but the woman guards the home. You see, and you notice a big difference. And her first responsibility is to be that vigilant warrior that guards that home. You know, part of that is making sure that the children are not emotionally damaged. You know, that there's anytime there's an opportunity to capture growth and to train the children and to bring them up with certain influence of the father, she takes advantage of that. You see, she doesn't allow the influence of outside and the, and the potential damage of outside to come in from there. You see, now part of sometimes her guarding the home or being a gatekeeper of the home is making sure that if she does work a, a job or she is bringing resources into into the home, that um, her her prime responsibility is that of wife and mother. That's a very special domain it's the first and top priority but it takes purity and it takes prudence for um a younger woman to even receive that teaching you see to understand when when she's being the okoros that's the greek okos is is household or house or it could be family as well and oros is guard or guardian or, or a watcher so that the word that was used there in the greek was okoros and that means the keeper of the home or the watch person of the home, right? But obviously that takes a certain kind of, um, again, sobriety to even accept that and embrace that and see that, man, that is a, that's an assignment. It's not too dissimilar from Adam's assignment. We read in Genesis and, um, Yahweh Elohim took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to dress it and keep it. And keep it. There the Hebrew was Shamar. Like Shamar more. <laughs> but Shamar, you see. And Shamar means keeper. And the Greek word Oros means keeper. So the same responsibility that Odoma had over the garden is the same responsibility that the woman has over the house. It's just that deep. It's just that serious. You see. So even like when... When the cherubims were placed, the flaming swords that turned every which way to keep the way, to keep the way of the tree of life. You see, you see the word Shamar there again, keep, keeper, right? So that's an important piece to kind of um, look at there when you're looking at, at the value. Um, and I'm going to break this up, right? I just wanted to hit a little bit because I know we were getting really deep with the Jezebel stuff but i want to speak more about the responsibility of the older to the younger right sound speech is another one you know um young men likewise exhort to be sober-minded in all things showing thyself a pattern of good works and doctrine showing uncorruptness gravity gravity sincerity you see so we will start to look at you know and i wanted to to be able to give you all um, a follow-up, you know, as far as like, okay, we got the Jezebel piece. Yeah, it's messed up. <laughs> yeah, it's messed up. We don't want any of that. How can we avoid that? How can we not be that? You know, well, we'll start looking at some of the characters like Naomi. You know, we'll look at some of the characters like Anna. Anna, you find in Luke 2 and 3, 7, that was the woman of devotion. Um, 
when she was and she was a widow of, for like 84 years, but she never left the temple. And she fasted all the time and she prayed all the time. You know, that's that devotion. And there's different models of that Sarah, you know, that motherhood aspect. You know, um, there's different aspects that we can pull from. But but becomes key in all of this, right? When you have that older woman or that older man taking on being that juggernaut to that younger, it's discipleship. All right. It's discipleship. And the thing about discipleship is that if in order for you to have disciples, you got to be a disciple. Okay. So if you, if you seek to be someone's disciple, find out who they're discipling, find out who they're, they're servicing under or what they're servicing under. You see, because it's a, it's a, it's a grace that many of us may have in spite of who and what we are, um, that we may be able to come into contact with certain people who are willing to give and offer to us. But that's not, that, that's not something that happens accidentally. There are course cross coordinates that are put together on purpose that puts you into the path of someone who you can be a disciple of. You see, in the same instance, we don't, we don't accidentally come into our spiritual awareness. We had to, all of us at some point made a decision to disciple those of us who really truly have higher awareness, right? We consciously intended to reproduce the life of our teacher. We said, man, what this person is doing with their teaching is amazing. And it needs to be more of this on the planet. And I'm willing to learn it in and out and establish this intimate relationship with this individual. So I can be more of this on the planet. See, that's a disciple. You see, and we learn all of the attributes of that person. You see, so we can guide others. And that's even learning the, the things about the person that may have nothing to do with um, what we may consider, you know, the spiritual work, if you will. We learn other things, too, because that helps us to guide people to that state of being. You see, so discipleship in that sense, it's it's a dependency. And it's it's an ongoing process. It's not it's not a momentary thing, but it requires a conscious dep- dependency. And most importantly, to, to ever be anyone's disciple, you have to be dependent on the most high. Because here's here's the truth. And those who don't, this is for the older women and for the older men. You know, we may have a tendency to kind of sometimes depend on what we can do, whether it be our wisdom we've collected over the years, our knowledge. Our books, a lot of us got great books. We have really good, you know, lectures and videos and podcasts and things like that. Um, and we learn how to sometimes share and serve out of humility, pulling from our, our resources and whatnot. Um, and sometimes we sit on these libraries of resources and we use that to enforce the illusion, the illusion, illusion in, in within ourselves that we're in control, <laughs> you know, because I got this and I got that and I got now nah, I know this. No, I know that. I know that I'm in control. I got this. You don't have anything. You see. See, people, men and women, we plan things based on where we want to be, where we want to go and what we have. But a true disciple doesn't plan anything. A true disciple is directed. 
done. Period. You see? Because everything we're doing out of humility, we're committing to our creator. You see, so we stay within a place of divine resources rather than human resources. So the divine resources will always saturate our discipleship process. They'll be ever present. So if you're active in discipleship, one of the, the, the most important things to understand when um, you're nurturing someone, you know, when you're coming from that directive is that sometimes the people who are your disciplers, they may seek to control you know, they may seek to control you or they may find their identity um, more in you than they find in the creator. That's another common one. You know, sometimes they they become they they purposely make their disciples become overly de- dependent, you know, on whatever it is their gift is, <laughs> you know, um, or their resources. And they can be really possessive. I've spoken about I spoke about this before in terms of finding spiritual teachers. They can be really possessive mentally. And that keeps their disciples from really um, finding out and learning their own personal resources. You see, and and all of that sort of happens when there's a lack of a flow of um, or a lack of a realization that anybody who comes in your path, who you are now discipling, who you are that you are the discipler of, they don't belong to you. You see, the most high is already working with them and you're being called to work alongside those people. You're not even working alongside the most high. You're working alongside those people to nurture them and your nurturing might be for a long time or it might be for a short time. You may have someone for one month, <laughs> you know, they're your disciple for a month. You may have someone for 10 years, but no matter what the length of time is, they're not yours. You see, and you should have a a open and excited sort of uh, willingness to expose people to gifts and expose them to resources. That's your humility. And when you have your security in the creator, then that security or that identity in your creator, that identity is real. When you create your identity on having a student, then you're always going to keep them a student. You see. So it's not your job to create the the increase or the decrease, you know, as far as what the most high is given it's or giving. Excuse me. It's it's your job to understand that this learner or this pupil has come to you. And your job, just like it's been the job of people throughout, um, history is to teach you see and yeah you might amass countless followers who are committed to what you teach and committed to your philosophies um and of course you always know that 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 person's progress is directly related to their relationship with you as a teacher but that relationship, everyone, you know, everyone experiences discipleship on some level, right? Um, but the student is never above the teacher, you know, and everyone who has trained that student becomes like their teacher. They're not yours. You're working alongside that student. <laughs> you know, you just were pulled, pulled into the path for a little bit of time, right? 
which is a, which is an honor to be able to have that. But you have to you have to show that commitment. You have to model what it's supposed to look like every day. You know, and as we're building this this kingdom of righteousness, you know, this 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 kingdom of of great character. You see this king this kingdom of of erected thought and elevated and lofty awareness, um more disciples will end up being raised up. It's inevitable. That's cool. That's what, that's what you want. You know, but they're still not yours. They're still not yours. Because all you're doing is imitating the models that the Most High has given to you while they're imitating you. So even what Paul was telling Titus, and we'll get into I'll read more of it later. He's telling him, you got to be a living example. When he said, be sound in speech. Be grounded in doctrine so that you can, so that you'll be re, beyond reproach so that any opponent that would come against you, you'll put them to shame. They'll have nothing bad to say about us. You see? So when your speech is honest and your speech is true and it's, and it's, and it's humble, um, it's not just the words that come out of your mouth. It's a doctrine that you're teaching. You know, sp- speak that pure word because if you breathe, it's pure word. If pure spirit comes out of your mouth, you're going to make pure people. See, that's the key. If you speak words that are wrong or that are wicked or that are evil and you mix it in like the devil does with technology with the good spirit, then you're going to make half wicked grafted people. Because as those who are teachers, older men, older women, aged men, aged women, we talking about, you know, how do we defeat this Jezebel, right? Paul gave Titus, the, that's the formula. This is what we're supposed to be teaching these teenage girls. This is what we're supposed to be teaching these teenage boys. This is what we're supposed to be teaching anyone who's behind us. The person may be older than you. A lot of my, my followers and supporters are older than me. But I'm older than them. <laughs> I'm further down the road than them, right? So, so I have a responsibility to teach them doctrine by being a righteous example as well. So it's not just enough to, um, teach sound doctrine while I'm living a life that's unsanctified. It won't work. I can't demonstrate the, the, the experience of Yah or the living of Yah and neglect every structure <laughs> that the creator has put in front of me to invest myself into whether you're young, old male, female, doesn't really matter. Right. But we always have to encourage those that are younger than what we are. And we encourage them most by imitating the traits of the creator. And then we imitate, we imitate the traits of those who are more mature in the faith. You see, that's a, that's a hack. (laughs) That's a hack. You know, we carry out righteous deeds, but we do them for the glory of Yah. We keep our doctrine pure. We we stay dignified and sound in speech. So that way we're we're beyond reproach in action and attitude. So whoever is will try to shame us, they'll be silenced and have nothing really to say. That's the hack. Okay. So um I just wanted to share that, right? As far as our you know, somewhat, if you could say, continuing the Jezebel talks. All right. And, uh, you know, the Jezebel series is over, but of course I still wanted to kind of share, um, 
more around it context and more solution okay i'll be right back all right everyone so just quick couple quick announcements before we get back into um the teaching or just the segment so um the anu retreat you know we have retreats uh four times a, a year for every seasonal change and uh, i made the decision as of as of late you know to open them up well this one to the public and we'll see how this one goes we're going to continue to do that you know because it's such a sacred and beautiful time that we're together you know but um it'll be august 24th to august 28th in new orleans and uh, of course i'll be there and i'll be doing a bunch of uh workshop not workshops but just we'll have moments where we'll learn i am going to do some workshops and we're also going to have um some other beautiful experiences some artistic experiences that we're putting together as well as well as some learning experiences man so it's uh going to be a really positive and great time for all of you to enjoy so make sure you register anu life um global ministries uh for that also if you would like to contribute to any ministry um within anu life you can always go to the anu life global.org forward slash give page all right and usually those links are in all these podcasts as well if you would like to um donate a gift to the ministry you know your opportunity to do that is there as well all right um so with that you know you can always find any of my books on amazon for consultations go to askosiris.com all right and let's get back into it All right, let's get into our book, right? What we're going to deal with on our book for this for this podcast session. Um, people, different people have been reaching out. Remember, you can always send your questions to questions at chiefyuya.com. Questions and comments, even if it's feedback on the books. I, I'm, I'm not going to ignore you so much <laughs> in my, my inboxes, but... If you have a question, some people have been sending questions into my inbox and you notice I haven't responded. I'm not going to answer them there. So you have to send them to questions at chiefyuyan.com. All right. But book time, you know, some people have been giving positive feedback on the books, man. You know, again, feel free to send them into the questions box. I'll read your feedback on air. Um, this Strong's book is Adult Children of Emotionally Mature, Immature Parents. Okay. Um, another one, you know, I'm giving you all the, the, not all of them. There's so many books I love, but I'm giving you a lot of the ones that I've really liked. Again, adult children of emotionally immature parents, how to heal from distant, rejecting or self-involved parents. Uh, this one was written by a uh, Lindsay, uh, Gibson, Lindsay Gibson. And it's kind of like what the title suggests, you know, um, I, when I first uh, read it. I got a copy of it. It's, it was really the title that caught me. I was like, man, that's, that's right to the point. <laughs> you know, and I was like, that's, it's, it's gotta be something good in there, man. That's a, that's a pretty good title. You know, it gets right to it. So, you know, um, just really, uh, the book is really good. You know, it takes a psychotherapeutic perspective to kind of healing some of this, but it speaks about, of course, immature parents and their lack of emotional, um, and emotional responsiveness, 
when it comes to their own child's emotional needs and how that that affects the children later on in life, you know, um, especially if you're someone who's who's a sensitive person. But when you're dealing with parents who are inconsistent and emotionally unreliable and how they kind of just ignore their own child's needs, you know what that turns into. And sometimes um, how even the fairy tales and the mythology that we dig into, how it plays into that idea of like negligent or abandoned children who are then raised by, by um, animals or they have caretakers who are careless or just absent or, you know, just hardly present and things like that. You know, you see that in Maleficent, you know, an example of that. So it really goes deep into kind of grasping the concepts of emotional maturity and, and, and setting better relation, better, better expectations or more pragmatic expectations for people when you're able, you know, being able to accept the level of relationship that you can even have. Sometimes we don't realize we think, Oh, well, mother's supposed to be this way. Father's supposed to be this way. And we may not know how to disengage from toxic parents or how to adjust the level of relationship that that's possible. You know, we just looking at what we want, but not what's actually possible, you know? So I really liked this book a lot. Um, when I read it, 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 um, it has good information in it, but not just for the information. I like, I like books that explore a subject responsibly. And especially if it's a subject that is relevant to where people are today, you know, I work with a lot, a lot of clients who are totally bewildered and baffled by the, the behavior of their parents. And they may make jokes about you. My father did this. My mother did that. But there's a, there's a feeling of isolation that they carry for the rest of their life. And sometimes they develop certain self-defeating habits, you know, because of the fact that they've, um, they've not learned how to relate to the world in a mature way themselves. Their awareness is still slanted, you know, and they're, they've lost their objectivity. So you'll really enjoy this book. You know, um, a lot, a lot of us have come through that gateway of parents who were still trying to figure it out and didn't really have it together. So definitely check it out. Adult children of emotionally immature parents, how to heal from distant rejecting or self-involved parents. Again, written by, um, Lisa Gibson. It came out, I say almost 10 years ago. When it came out, I feel like I, this was another one. I got it right when it, when it, when it came out, you know, but, uh, that's our book. Here comes our music. So let me shift, let me shift gears. All right. Come back to it. The next piece. All right. So that has been our segment. That has been our segment on, um, the responsibility that the olders have to the youngers whether they be male or whether they be female. And I trust that, you know, just um, we're going to get, we haven't even gotten to the whole letter of types. We're going to get into a little bit more of it. And then we're going to go into proverbs as well. Eventually we're going to find ourselves wrapped around to Proverbs 31. You know, you gotta, you gotta hit Proverbs 31, but um, I really wanted to dive into that a bit. Uh, so we can start, look at some of the, the things that we can control you know, as far as within our community as elders, what can we tell the youngers as youngers? How should we be conducting ourselves? Are we conducting ourselves with integrity and in what it is that our teachings are? 
Are we causing people to look at our teachings and possibly say, man, that's not really, you ain't doing anything over there. <laughs> you ain't got nothing going on over there. You know, do we really see the value and the fervent dependence that a, a disciple has on the divine rather than on the human? You know, so much and I, when we tether or try to tether ourselves to our teachers, tether ourselves to our ears, to our babas, you know, and not, and, and we do all of that to avoid the real tether that's supposed to happen that we too, we're not humble enough to, to make. We're supposed to tether ourselves, ourselves to the most high, you see. And that's why sometimes when we're ministering and we're trying to do things, we're doing them broken. You know, we're doing them so weak because, um, there's so much of ourselves that's that's taking up space that the power of Yahawashai can't even function inside of us. There's no space left. You see? So we become powerless to really do anything of that last. You know, we could alleviate pain here and there, but we're not really doing anything of lasting good because of the fact that there's so much ego involved. So I want to really, like I said, dive into more of the philosophies associated with the conscious dependency of discipleship and how critical that is in shaping our lives. So uh, older people learning how to be good disciplers, younger people learning how to be discipled or disciplined and taking that with us with the progress and with a, and with a, with a uh, fully trained humility so you're not grieving your teacher. They don't have to struggle to get things through to you because the harder part is, is them channeling the information, channeling those goals and those principles, principles. They shouldn't also have to fight against that stubborn, stubborn, untranslated, unlearned, you know, obstinate individual and demon that exists within you. You know, so we have to form better relationships with each other so that everyone we love everyone can have a discipler everyone should have someone that they can look to and say teacher you see and that they, they can be trained in that way and that they can produce the product of discipleship all right and that will be evidenced in their character and and evidenced in their and their their content that they bring forth as teachers and students all right. So with that being said, we're going to close it out. All right. So this is Chief Yuya signing out. This was the 91st episode, season two of the Chief Yuya podcast. Feel free to follow me on social media. My at handle is Chief Yuya for music at Chief Yuya Music. Um, Anu Life Global Ministries is Anu Life GM. Anu Womb is Anu Womb. That's their at. And the Anu Man is um, the Anu Man Ministry. All right, so come on in. All right, peace, everyone. Be well. <laughs>